Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pages of HR. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides insightful conversations about HR-related books with the writers who create them. By the end of these conversations, we hope that you'll have actionable insights for your business, best practices to tap, and new information to ponder. If you haven't got your head in the sand, you can't help but notice how much the world is talking about mental health. Whether it's discussions on burnout or coping with anxiety and challenges in an ever-changing world, mental health is top of mind for everyone. These rapid changes in the world are impacting our collective mental health, and HR leaders and organizations need to get ahead of the curve if they don't want to leave performance on the table. Today, I'm joined by Genevieve Hawkins, a senior executive with extensive experience in leading major change programs in large organizations. We're discussing her book, Mentally at Work, Optimizing Health and Business Performance Through Connection. Mentally at Work is about understanding the science behind why connection matters and the practical strategies to build your mental health, the mental health of the team, and the strength of connection that delivers results. In an ever-changing complex world, how we lead has become an increasingly critical skill. Genevieve hopes that this book can guide leaders to lead in a sustainable way for them, their teams, and their businesses, so that we may collectively reverse the trend of mental illness in the developed world. Genevieve, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Bianca. I am brilliant and even better for being talking to you today. And of course, I appreciate your time. Uh, we're just going to jump right into things. Uh, can you tell me, uh, please, what inspired you to write this timely book? Do you know, actually, I think the short answer is my team told me to do this. <laughs> But uh, actually, no, the inspiration, so it was really just reflecting on the fact that I saw that there was this gap in the way in which we were talking about mental health in the workplace. So I could see conversations that were around, let's talk about mental health, but really for the most part, people are talking about mental ill health. So sort of talking about how do we support someone when they have a problem as compared to this whole understanding of what we all need to do to look after mental health. So there was this gap in, we're not necessarily talking about it in a proactive way. Over here is we've got these things that we talk about in leadership development, but we're not connecting leadership development to what we should be talking about in the mental health space. And then even when I then looked at some of the ways in which we're talking about mental health, it was sometimes it would either get very medical and so there's medical explanations that would lose people or sometimes it would get, and it's going to sound bad to say too fluffy, but sometimes it would get like, sort of a bit too abstract and so the kind of hardened, hardened executive would look at that stuff and go oh yes all right we need HR to do something but not really getting it so I, I just sat there and said there's this gap in the market where I need to go leaders you've got to understand a bit of this you've got to understand the practical pieces you've got to understand a bit of the science but not too crazy um, but understand a bit of the science understand your role and understand your role in looking after yourself your team, and then how the system works. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And, you know, this book is written by a senior manager and is written for senior managers. So, Jen, how many years in senior management uh, do you have? And uh, can you uh, elucidate a bit on uh, just how, with it being in your wheelhouse, you know exactly what this, what this level, excuse me, excitement uh, that leaders face? So, so in terms of, well, I'd say time in senior leaders, leadership roles, look, you'd probably say over 20 years. I, I'm kind of going, I'm not too sure at what point I then finally go, yes, I'll count that as senior leadership. 
but, but a range of different senior roles. And, um, and in fact, actually, because when I went to start writing the book, I was like, oh, this is going to help the HR practitioner. This is going to help the leader. This is going to help the individual person. I could write for so many people. And, and in fact, some of the advice I got given at the beginning was you, you need to hone in and going, who's the person that you're writing it for? Don't try and write for everyone. And so, in fact, in writing for one person, which is the senior leader, it was then um, – it opens up because what I've found is people who are in co- like the executive coaches or um, HR practitioners go, oh, my God, can we like get 50 copies of the book? Because actually we want every one of our leaders to get a copy of this because it is angled at them. So it's not, you know, it's sort of like how, how can I help you to pick up and, and own a space that you need to own. You can't look to someone else and go, can we just have a, a program? Can you can you do something here? You, you've got to be able to step into that space yourself. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, I think that kind of ties in uh, to this next little point here uh, that I have, how a leader's mental health reverberates throughout their ranks. Could you talk a bit about that, please? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> could I talk a bit about that? I could talk about it for ages. <laughs> and in fact there's a whole there's a particular um chapter in this book that i talk about the shadow in fact i'm just going to double check what i I talk about the classroom in the shadow i talk about as one of the the chapters in the book and and it's this really interesting thing about leaders understanding um the impact that they have on on others and um you know, it's that whole thing. It was Covey, it wasn't said, well, you know, I judge myself by my intent, but others by their behaviour. That individuals across an organisation, they can look at you and go, it isn't what you think in your, your heart or your head, it's how you make me feel that is actually the impact that you have on me. And so when I watch you as a leader and you don't know my name, when I watch you as a leader and you you have a go at me in front of other people, when when I watch you as a leader and you walk around as if the weight of the world's on your shoulders and you don't want to talk to anyone, then then I don't feel comfortable. Then I'm not going to be my best self at work. And and we often I think particularly at a senior level, I I see leaders that that and don't understand this shadow. They don't understand how big their shadow is. That reverberation is huge. It's that kind of, you know, it's a tiny little pebble and whoo, out it goes. And the higher you go, the smaller the pebble is for that that bigger impact on people. And so there is an element of, um, and I don't like to think about the camera is always on because actually you want to have a space when you're at home when you go, can I take the camera off and can I just put my gym jams on? And, and actually I say gym jam, pyjamas, yeah. Yeah, just, um, can I can I just relax? But at work, whether you're sitting at your desk, whether you're one on one, whether you're in a, a meeting, whether you're presenting, the camera is always on. People are watching you even when you don't realise, and so you have to really consciously in that whole you know the um, aeroplane thing. Put the oxygen mask on first. At a senior level, you go. This is you are a corporate athlete. You, you have to understand what you need to do in order to make sure that you're showing up as best you can or when you're not so great that you find a way of talking to people about where you're not so great so that your reverberation is a positive one, not a negative one on others. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And I also loved how you talked about uh, just in the example, right, uh, someone saying to their to their manager like, hey, I, I feel like this when you 
do this or when you say that or when you call me out in front of other people. I think we're in a I feel state of society now. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I've only been in it for 10 uh, in the workplace. You've been doing it for at least 20 in this space. Uh, so you've got more experience. But this is pretty new. Uh, and we're not used to talking about feelings in the workplace and, you know, hey, that didn't make me feel good and kindness and all those things. And even just actually recognizing uh, mental health. And of course, you know, COVID-19 has a lot to do with that in the acceleration of it, of that already growing need for competency and compassionate mental health care in the workplace. It, it's so true. It's interesting, isn't it, how we... Um... You know, it's pre. I go. If you've got to have the silver lining out of COVID, that is that is the silver lining that we're prepared to talk a bit more about how we feel. And and my my view on that is, I think what COVID has done for us is is brought home. So we were saying pre-COVID, we were already like. I mean, I wrote this book pre-COVID. I was sitting there going, there is a tsunami happening. We are going to get hit with higher and higher levels of anxiety and depression because our world is overwhelming for people. It's incredibly complex. It's incredibly uncertain. We, we fundamentally have a really, really big, you know, an existential crisis, if you like, in front of us. And, in fact, when, when executives talk about we're in this incredibly complex world and we need to solve all of these complex problems, I'd sit there and go, we do. If we're going to tr- have a hope of trying to solve these, we actually have to face into mental health first because if we have a population of people who are constantly sitting on edge and really, really anxious, then they're not going to be in the space that enables them to actually do what they need to do to listen and and think deeply and, and work out what was going on. And COVID just accelerated the level of anxiety and depression because the world became so uncertain. We were so unsure of what was going on and and even though there's some level of going with it we've adapted actually i'd go not everyone has adapted and even now we all sit there and go well we kind of we're kind of living with it but we're still kind of not too sure and and by the way what's the weather doing at the moment because he's or you know the climate change is is a challenge and and can i actually get the food that i need because what's happening with war across the world and the disruptions to supply chain and all sorts of challenges. So our ability to come back to go, how do we, how do we feel, and how can we talk about this? Um, we need to because if if I'm sitting there and I go, I feel so anxious around you, or I feel so angry, or I feel um, uncertain, or I'm 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 not feeling confident because of how I felt you've treated me, I'm not going to be able to hear you. I, I, there's a wall. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think this is a, a great spot here uh, for the excerpt and you prepare one, correct? Ah, well, you know, as I said, I could probably read the whole book. So, <laughs> In fact, I do read the book. The book's on Audible and on Audible, it's my voice reading it. <laughs> but look, I, I was reflecting beforehand on going, what what could I read in um, in reflecting for HR practitioners about what's kind of useful here? And, and I pulled out a particular extract because of some of the experience I see where 
we have an issue that someone's not performing. And and this classic thing that a manager looks to HR and go, I have someone that's poor performing and I'm going to performance manage them out and tell me the process. And and you risk into that space of going, here's the process and you have to give, you know, you have to sit and have a conversation and you have to go, here's my expectations and here's what I need you to do and I need to measure it and come back. And, and so there's a there's a professional thing that says we know the legal process that we need to go through, etc., but we forget the person. And and when we focus on process and not person, we don't actually get the best result. And I could go on for ages because having done lots of work in workers' compensation and seen the the downside of, of conflict in the workplace, there's so many ways we'd go there. But let me let me just read a little bit from, from the book here. So from a team member's perspective, there could be any number of reasons why they have not mentioned mental ill health to their manager earlier. They have been struggling with their mental health but have not felt connected and safe enough with their manager to open up. Inevitably, untreated issues start to cause performance issues. The second one is that they know they are not capable of doing the job or feel confused about what is required of them but have not felt enough connection with their line manager to seek the support they need. This stressful situation then triggers a slide down the continuum due to lack of clarity or capability in the first place and an inability to connect, worsening performance issues. Number three, there is something else going on outside work that is impacting performance at work but they do not feel safe or connected with their manager to open up, thereby distracting them and causing performance issues. Four, they did not realise they were not performing until their manager talked to them. They felt fine until they suddenly realised they were being performance managed. They do not feel a connection with their line manager due to lack of prior feedback and they slide down the continuum as their brain rightly picks up a threat. See a pattern here? It is not the performance itself, but the lack of connection that causes the challenge in addressing performance. When the slide down, whether the slide down the continuum was already there or the performance triggered it, what you have is someone with a threat reaction to what is happening. Cortisol is running rife and they cannot hear you clearly. If you are not feeling confident about what you're trying to do and you are not getting enough feedback and encouragement or a sense of confidence, the cortisol gets hold of you. You go into a downward spiral of lack of confidence. I'm going to pause there. I could keep reading (laughs) reading more, but I kind of, from an HR practitioner point of view, I wanted to put that in there in terms of, stopping and thinking about these questions because there's this there's a space when we go you know but no one, no one comes to work to not perform well and and I have many a time and and both in my role in in supporting managers because of workers compensation claims or in my own teams because in running teams of teams or actually in HR practitioners coming to seek my advice from a mental health perspective and what they're doing where they sit there and go, well, oh, well, they were fine until we started performance managing them. Now they're saying they're having a mental health issue. And, and I go, hang, hang on a minute. For anyone, 
anyone, no matter how good you think you are, if all of a sudden someone says you're not performing, of course you're going to feel anxious. Of course you're going to feel stressed. Like that's natural reaction. Um, and so this challenge always that I give um, to managers around this space is that you've got to go back to this first fundamental principle of connection. We, we as individuals all need to feel that we've been seen, that we've been heard and that we matter. And, and managers, managers can't think that, well, at work is just about the task. You know, you can have your feelings at home, you can do it at work's just about the task. You know, it's, it, it, it's not. We, if, I, if I want to get the best from you, I need to connect with you. I need to, you need to trust me. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have a conversation with you about where you're not performing. But if we start from a sense of feeling connection, um, then then there's an ability within that to go, hey, let's have a conversation because things aren't quite right. But you trust me enough to go, when I talk about that, I know you're coming from a place of care, not, not from a case of judgment that you could get the sack because you're not doing your job. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And I love the emphasis on, well, it's all about connection, but <laughs> it, the emphasis should be on connection even more so today, uh, probably of all things, especially because the, line, the lines are blurred, excuse me, excitement. A lot of us are working from home, you know, where some of us are may still be virtual, virtual, excuse me. Some of us may be in a hybrid uh, capacity now or yeah. just completely virtual or depending upon the company, you know, you might even be forced to come back into office, you know, or there may be uh, dire con consequences uh, coming down from that type of leadership, um, which is unfortunate and also takes a toll on mental health as well. But connection is very much so important. Uh, can you talk about what connection with others virtually and physically means for mental health? It, it is, so we are fundamentally tribal creatures. Like we, we, no matter what we um, would like to think, and particularly, again, I go back to executive level because executive level, people, and I'm, I'm fine. Like, you know, I've, um, you know, and, and there is a level of going, when you get to a senior level, there's a fair few scars that you've got on your back from how you've got to that point. But but I see a, a kind of a walling off at an executive level about I'm okay and, and and I don't really, like I'll have people outside work, but I don't have people inside work sort of thing in terms of that connection. But we're tribal creatures. We, we need to feel connection. And I often sort of talk to people about go, go back to Neolithic time and thinking about humans back then. And, and it makes sense. And, and this, this is one of the key things. Our brain, and in a simple way, I like to go think about the brain in two parts. There's lots of parts, but think about it in two parts. You've got a thinking brain and you've got an animal brain. And your thinking brain is a bit that you're aware of because you go, I'm thinking and I'm controlling everything. Your animal brain is the one that, that makes you breathe, <laughs> makes you digest, makes you sweat, makes you do all of it, makes your heart beat. Like it's those things that, that are basic to survival. And our animal brain overrides our thinking brain without, without our thinking brain realising because our animal brain is hardwired for our survival. And there are chemicals in there that get triggered based on what's going on within, within our environment. And so if you think about back in the Neolithic time, it made sense to go, there is safety in numbers. So if I'm on my own and I'm out in the middle of nowhere and there could be wild animals, there could be, you know, whatever it might be, if I'm on my own, I'm going to feel incredibly vulnerable. But if I'm with others, 
I'm going to feel safer. And so that's part, that hard wiring has not changed, has not changed in our entire history. We need to feel connected because that gives us safety in order to feel that we can contribute. And when we feel that sense of connection, we get oxytocin coming into our brain and it, cause it goes, oh, oh, this is all right, this is all right. I feel, I feel like I belong and, and, and I'm okay. And then, um, and then we have that sense of um, serotonin is our, another chemical that's really good, which is it's not just being in a tribe, it's feeling that I play a role in that tribe, that I have got a contribution to make. And when I feel valued for what I do, I get that serotonin coming in and, and that also, like I need a bit of, I need a bit of three chemicals actually, really useful for mental health. Oxytocin, feel like I belong. Serotonin, I feel valued. You, you see what I do and you value that. And we do need dopamine and, and dopamine has a, um, a bad rap sometimes because it gets associated with addiction in um, social media because dopamine is like our reward drug. We, we crave learning a new pattern. Like when we go, oh, I've learned something new, it's, it's food for the brain and we need a combination of those. The reason why I go down that kind of pathway and go think about these things is to come back to your question about virtual and in, in person that as a manager, you need to be thinking about your role in triggering those three chemicals in your team. Because when you can trigger those three chemicals, and it has to be the combination of those three, not just um, one of them, when you can trigger all three, that actually helps the person to feel that they belong and that therefore they're going to bring their selves, best selves to work. Now, I think there's an interesting thing around what's virtual versus in the office. Um, so, so the easy thing for managers to say is I want people back in the office because I want to see them and, and that's where it's most important. Now, I would go, it's, now, I mean, I, I have worked in my senior roles with teams across, you know, multiple jurisdictions for years. So there's an element of going, whether you're working from home or whether you're working in another state, that kind of, is there much difference? You have to think about how how do I create some level of physical interaction? Because that physical interaction is really, really important. But how do I also think about if you are virtual, how am I triggering the oxytocin and the serotonin and the dopamine in the right sort of combinations to make sure that you feel part of my team and valued for what it is that you do? Um, now, I, I do believe in, in for office-based work, that there is an extraordinary value in having a hybrid between the two because I think COVID has opened up that flexibility piece of people go, oh, this is so much nicer. I don't have to have this, the level of commute and and I can like, I love the fact that it, I could at lunchtime I go, I'm just going to put a slow cook meal on for dinner and because late afternoon I go out to get a cuppa and you go, oh, the aroma of that slow cooked meal, that is beautiful. So you can see the the value at, at times of being at home, being an un, for me at a senior level going, oh, I can be uninterrupted, I can just get things done. But we need that time in the office as well to feel like we belong. And, and the risk at home, um, if we're starting to get stressed, so if we're starting to feel a bit concerned about our performance or how we belong in the team, when we're sitting at home in our own space, our brains can go nuts. So they can then get feeling disconnected from the team. That was a very long answer to that one. <laughs> Be sure to tune into our next episode where Genevieve and I continue our conversation.